0: Jody Crumpy, director of the Erie City Mission Thrift Stores and Donation Center. When you shop at one of our two thrift stores or drop off items at our donation center, you are providing a meal. You are housing a man in our shelter, helping men and women overcome addiction, and giving our inner city youth an opportunity to learn. I want to thank you for making a difference. This is our city, our mission. God bless you.
1: All year round, Frontier Home Products and Design has what you need to make your home comfortable and beautiful. Relax on a new timber tech deck designed by Frontier's experts. A new fireplace from Frontier Home Products Fireplace Gallery adds warmth and serenity to any home. Beauty and versatility at Frontier Home Products and Design Center, 4213 East 5th next to the Bayfront Highway.
0: Frontier Home Products and Design Center. Discover a new Frontier.
1: PA Contractor number PA039007. Welcome to Erie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natalie.
2: I'm excited to introduce to you uh, friends from the Erie Home Team. And uh, right from, uh, from my left here around the bend, we've got Colleen Hammond. She's the Home Team Chairperson. Colleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate you being on here with us. And uh, we've got Lisa Carley. She is with the, the Department of Human Services for Erie County. Hi, Lisa. How are you?
0: good thank you so much joel
2: we're glad that you're here and we've got george finkenworth he is from the mercier civic institute again a part of the homeless and housing coalition good to see you george Yeah,
1: thanks very much appreciate you having us all down
2: all righty uh we'd like to get origin stories we're going to go all around the bend and i know colleen you've been on the show but remind us you know are you homebred here or are you transplanted in
3: Oh, I'm totally homebred. <laughs> <Okay>, awesome. <laughs> like yourself, right? yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, born and raised in Erie. Lived away a couple years. Came back. Um, I worked in the mental health field for the last about 32, 33 years, and where did you primarily
2: uh, practice?
3: Well, thank you. I um, just retired, and for my last position was as the mental health director at Erie County Care Management. Okay. So homelessness Fantastic, is yeah. close to my heart, and I'm excited to be able to do it now yeah. on my own. And wow. it's been a wonderful opportunity for me, both with the home team and just working with the people on the streets.
2: Fantastic. Thank you, Colleen. How about you, Lisa? You haven't have uh, grown up at the county. What did you, how did you come up? Yeah.
0: Actually, I was uh, born in Chicago. My father wow. worked for General Electric, so got a job in Erie. So moved here very young. But when I was 19, I left Erie to join the Air Force. So did I you? spent nine and a half years in the Air Force. Moved back and worked for GE, and then I really had a call on my heart to help people and serve. So Mm. I left the corporate world and joined uh, my role uh, with the county for supporting homelessness.
2: How long have you been uh, at the county? I've been at the county
0: six years. The grant that I I manage, the database that everyone enters um, data into who serve the homeless uh, for housing. And so that database... Grant moved from a provider to the county six years ago. So I have eight years of experience with working with the homeless database.
2: Wonderful. How about you, George? Did you grow up here or did you transplant in? I did.
1: I uh, lived here my whole life. Um, I am a product of the old East High School. Nice. So anytime, (laughs) you know, the the typical eerie question is, you know, when they found out you lived here your whole life, uh, you know, it's the, where'd you go to high school? Where'd you grow up? And I said, East Side and East High. (laughs) He is a uh, warrior. I was a warrior. Absolutely. And and still to this day. Fantastic. um, Yeah. So my uh, my family, we live up in, you know, Mill Creek Mm. and uh, for a while lived in South County. So. So, but, yeah. you know, for the whole life of, um, you know, just stayed here locally and good place to raise families and um, a lot of good connections, a lot of good things going on in the community and um, good opportunities for, you know, to meet people and work with some great people, too. So,
2: now, in, in your yeah. role there at mm-hmm. the Civic Institute, are you... Yeah. Uh, like, what kind of degree prepares you for that kind of work that you're doing? Yeah, yeah. so
1: you know what? the Anytime anybody asks what the Mercyhurst Civic Institute does, um, you know, the one, we get a blank look, uh, you know, <laughs> oftentimes because they, they have a hard time grasping it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the best way to really kind of sum up the work that we do is we're kind of a consultant-based mm-hmm. um, services, but we do it through the university. And the work we do is actually with community partnerships, government entities, nonprofit uh, agencies in town. We actually do some state work as well, too, along the way. And we're all about strengthening communities, but we do it doing uh, data-driven approaches and uh, working in collaborative nature. So I've been there for about 18 years now. Um, And if you know the Civic Institute up at Mercyhurst and um, the domains we work in, we do a lot with uh, the Office of Children and Youth. Um, We do some work with drug and alcohol, court systems, mental health. Um, But this project right here, this is actually um, through a HUD-based planning grant um, that how we got involved. they offer this uh, funding source to a lot of communities across the country that actually um, they're not staffed fully, the uh, the recipient agency of the um, the planning grants. I'm sorry, of the, the regular funding stream. So they offer these planning grants uh, for for them to kind of have work done that's technical support, okay. to assist in other projects. And that's where we jump in. Gotcha. And we've been doing this for seven years, I think, six, seven years with the uh, the department down there.
2: I want to start with this really broad view and then come closer to Erie County and then kind of zoom in, all right? Mm -hmm. So the broad view of homelessness in America is very often tinged by um, the media reports of what's happening in very large cities. And so you hear about San Francisco, you hear about LA, uh, New York City, and so on. How much, in your opinion, I want all three of you to answer if you would, how much, in your opinion, does national narratives impact your work, probably negatively, here in Erie? Colleen, what do you think?
3: That's an excellent question. And I think two things. Number one, I think um, it has impacted it directly and dramatically yes and I think a lot of yes because I think the narrative sometimes at a national level or a large city area like Chicago right or Los Angeles impacts Erie in a negative frame because our individual narrative here is a little different we talked Mm -hmm. a little before the show our narrative is different Mm -hmm. I think we're much more aware of the impact trauma has on homelessness what does that mean it We have different numbers. I think we're more aware on a day-to-day basis of what that person experiencing especially chronic homelessness looks like. And I'll pass that to Lisa, but that's my
2: opinion, Joel. Lisa, weigh in on this.
0: I, I do believe that the national narrative, unfortunately, as you mentioned, tinges a negative view of people experiencing homelessness because we constantly see pictures of large encampments, um, people walking by, uh, tents and, and, um, just the crime and, and all that's involved in that. And, and the fear, I think it really feeds into fear mm-hmm. of the homeless. Um, and yet we were also speaking with, um, yourself and, uh, In speaking with uh, downtown partnership who have the safety and hospitality ambassadors walking our eerie streets every single day you know they have hired one of our homeless persons to assist them because of the kindness of that individual of the diligence to work um, um, even with his challenges that have resulted in homelessness so I feel as though having this type of opportunity to speak to our local homelessness is so important, and I thank you again for having us.
1: George, your thoughts? Yeah, so there was a, a study that came out. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, and it was a large study done on homelessness in California. And you know, those are really the pictures that we do see. You know, when you watch the news, and you know, you pick up USA Today or whatever it up like we read paper papers anymore um or you know you yeah. on another website and you know those are those images that everybody has in their mind when they think about uh homelessness and the study when you looked at it it said about a third of the people who are homeless in this country are in california even though they're 12 percent of the population wow. and half the people that are unsheltered in this country in California. So, you know, when you hear about the decline of downtown San Francisco and LA, you know, and they bring up the unsheltered and the homeless populations there, that's a big piece of it right there. And while we have those issues here in our community as well too, they're not to the extent that you're seeing in those large cities. And even on a scalable level. Not even, right, nope. And they'll break right. it down. You can go to the uh, different HUD-related websites and mm-hmm. homeless organization websites, and they'll even break things down ratio-wise for yeah. you to look at. And I mean. So some of those numbers, they just get, a you know, it's kind of overwhelming how mm-hmm. much is out there. But, you know, oftentimes when we're talking to people in the community, you know, we tell them we're, when we kind of come up with community plans and to address certain things, we said, we're not LA, we're not Boston, we're Peoria, we're Akron, yeah. we're, you know, um, Allentown. Cedar Rapids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cedar Rapids. Exactly. Those are our pure cities. And um, well, there's a lot of good lessons to be learned from what's going on, especially in those larger communities, because a lot of times they too, they also have more resources than we do um, because they're dealing with problems of a different magnitude. So, you know, I think it's important for the listeners and anybody who's, you know, driving around when they're, you know, kind of have their eye on the local homeless population here in Erie County to realize that what we're seeing here is not the same thing that's going on in other places in the large is mostly coastal cities um, across the country. It's a it's a different ball game, and um, we have to come up with localized solutions as well, too.
2: All right. I think this is a great segue then to kind of zoom in some further here. Let's talk about the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and their approach to homelessness. And maybe, Lisa, I'll lean in on you because you are part of that kind of that governmental entity part of this thing. Is PA a good place to be homeless? I mean, as far as services...
0: Wow, that's a tough one. I honestly can say Erie County is a good place to be homeless. that's uh, the focus I have
2: It's kind of like we're re- we're resource rich in Erie County right. if you're in Kensington and Philly not so much if you're in the you know in a in a tough part of, Fitt- of Pittsburgh, not so much is that accurate
0: It's interesting that you mentioned Pittsburgh because when I first started my work in this field, um, Pittsburgh, Allegheny County is, is the area that um, I'm referring to. They lost all of their HUD funding, and most of the money that comes for housing is through the federal government, through the Housing and Urban Development Department, per yeah. se. And they lost all their funding, and they built back up to a l- literally national standard. They get more funding. They are one of the better locations to receive services, They're, they do a really good job. I've heard them speak at conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get asked to speak, you're doing a good job. <laughs> okay, so, sure. So um, so what do, you, it, what do you think it,
2: the Philadelphia issue? I, I guess I'm trying to make the distinction of, you know, um, because there's a lot of ways that we could split up those billions of dollars that come into Harrisburg. And right now there's a, there's a real push to even spend more on basic ed. But I said... What about human services? What about some of these other things that are obviously big issues for Pennsylvania, including homelessness? And you look at what, you know, some, some, some of the really, really tough reporting coming out of the Philadelphia Inquirer on Kensington. And, and, and even our own Senator Dan Laughlin has reported himself from walkthroughs with the with his counterpart in that neighborhood. I mean, it's significant what they're dealing with in Philly probably in Scranton, probably in Allentown, and so on. Colleen, you got thoughts?
3: Well, you know what? I I think it, it is challenging. I think the challenge for Pennsylvania is we are not cookie-cutter counties. It's true. So when you look at that, and we talk about the issues with Philly and what the Inquirer is trying to address currently in terms of educating the public, that's one subset. And now we look in relation to them we look at erie county and think right well we have erie county we also have issues if i can go there we have issues where we are talking ourselves as a home team and talking to people who are identifying our southernmost tip down to cory sure, sure the problems they sure. yeah. have out in albion gerard yeah so i think the focus is every county has a tendency to look different um because you have access to services even though a lot of those are medical assistance paid and federally government paid through HUD, Mm -hmm. what you come with is, how is your local government crafting those services? How are they holding your local providers um, to make those services accessible, relatable, right? Engaging. Yeah. So all that I think comes into what that blueprint for services in every county looks like, if I can kind of say that.
2: That makes a lot of sense this neighborhood has gone uh, undergone a significant renewal when you think about uh, three four years ago you know the mcdonald's on the corner here was was a place where homeless people would go right at least i mean absolutely i mean that that was a place to eat or get a cup of coffee or use the restroom uh and so we're going to talk about resources here, and are our resources getting better or worse? But let's talk about what the what is called this point in time count. It happens in January, which is I think is interesting. But go ahead, can you describe what what that's all about?
0: Sure. Um, but before I do speak to the point in time count, um, what I'd like to do is just define homelessness period, okay, and persons experiencing homelessness, because I think to the average person. Uh, when we mention homeless numbers, they believe that we're talking about people living outside, people living um, in park benches, uh, uh, in their cars, or in a parking garage, the, the ones that are very visual that we see. Um, but really, when we're counting, and there are those in Erie, but what we're counting when we're talking about a point-in-time count are people who are temporarily housed in um, different project types, as well as people who are what we call living in a place not meant for habitation. So the point in time is a federally mandated count that happens nationwide. It is done in the last 10 days of January.
2: Nationwide
0: even? Nationwide, one of the last 10 days of January. So if you receive funding, and as I mentioned, most of the funding comes through the federal uh, HUD department, If you receive that funding you're mandated to participate Mm -hmm. Um, we are fortunate in erie that every one of our providers participate regardless of their funding which helps us to get a more accurate count because based on this count that we're able to determine what resources are needed but the different project types are based on people's needs and based on and their ability to accept services so the different project types that I'm going to uh, give you counts for are sheltered and unsheltered. Okay. And sheltered in this particular count, when we're truly, really, truly trying to count literally homeless people, are emergency shelter, which is a very short crisis type of housing that's going to house someone anywhere from one night to, um, I mean, they can stay longer, but an average is going to be 90 days, 30 to 90 days. Uh, is is pretty much an average and then we're going to talk about somebody who is living in what's called transitional housing transitional housing is similar it's a congregate setting of shared space however in a transitional housing people have typically a longer stay anywhere uh, from six months is probably good average length of stay but up to two years depending Mm -hmm. Um, and we're talking about an erie city mission new life program that accepts people who are trying to become sober Um, and we're also talking about um, a mercy center for women project that helps a lot of reunification for parents who've lost children and people coming out of either jail or rehab
2: how long can you stay at community shelter is that over six months? Community or?
0: shelter is really unique. They yeah. are. They have several project types, but yeah. for this emergency shelter that they have, first of all, they've expanded tremendously right. in the last few years, um, specifically to help us get through some some winter mm-hmm. challenges. But they um, they're an emergency shelter, so typically you would be, um, you know getting in and out Mm -hmm. however we recently had there was an article in the paper so I can talk about it Um, an individual who landed there out of a group home she actually had uh, intellectual disability challenges as well as, as other challenges and was really struggling in a very deep way but willing to work and wanted to work to get herself better housing so mm. she left the group home worked with their caseworker there and team there uh, as well as other resources in erie and she ended up housed okay. after a little over a year wow so again very unusual for an emergency shelter to keep someone for a year um and we hope not to do that except yeah. in a case like that Makes sense. where someone is actually truly getting help So we have
2: emergency Um, shelters, we have transitional housing. And the last one is Safe Haven. Safe Haven. A
0: Safe Haven is a specific housing project that the Veterans Administration funds in Erie, and it is only for adult male veterans that are struggling um, to get some permanent housing. So you
2: count all of those folks, though? We
0: count the sheltered, we count them... um, and then we count the unsheltered. So what we, what we do with our shelter count is we work with the agencies who house these people and they do the counts and we reconcile all that data to make sure because we break it down uh, different ways. But that all gets reported for the day that we pick as our point in time. Mm-hmm. This year it was January 26th. So January 26th, we counted all emergency shelter, transitional housing, and safe haven persons. And then the next day we... Went into our public meal locations, and we have one-day shelter in Erie. So we, we went to the Mental Health Association, which lets people come in during the day. We went to the Upper Room, which lets people in during the day. And then we went to our meal locations. Erie City Mission does breakfast and lunch, and Emmaus Soup Kitchen does dinner. So the idea, we changed this methodology last year in 2022 because we just knew we had single digits of unsheltered people. We knew it wasn't right because... Our method was to drive around and look for people after the shelters closed. Right. So we were driving around in the middle of winter, in the harshest month of winter, and finding single digits of people. So sure. we changed that methodology to go and interview people the next day and say, where did you sleep last night? Yeah. So that's a much better count, but it's also higher. In, um, for January 26, we accounted for 40 people who were unsheltered. Okay. For January twenty-six, we also counted 331 persons who were in shelter, so in emergency shelter, the, the project types I mentioned. So in total, we reported 371 persons who were literally homeless in Erie, Pennsylvania.
2: That's about uh, a quarter of what I thought the number was.
0: And, and that's very common, and here's the thing, when when we look around perception, as I look at someone and I believe they are homeless, they may be in a shelter situation, so they may be counted in this count of literally homeless, yeah. but they are not living outside. They are going into a bed in a warm, safe place each night. That's an important distinction.
2: We mentioned this point in time, and we went, uh, and it goes right back to perception again um and we kind of had a heated conversation over the over the over the break is is as far as it's it is kind of maddening to understand where people's heads are at even in in a little town like erie pa of what constitutes homelessness and what is what is the real situation i'm going to posit this and you guys push back do we really i mean yes every individual is an important person so they're really not numbers but that's really where our concentration should be—not on, you know, not on the aggregate per se, but is, you know, my uh, my kid's sophomore classmate Johnny uh, wants to hang out tonight and maybe sleep over because honestly, um, mom has a is doing a double shift and uh, there's not going to be anybody at home, or or you know, and then then we have the whole thing of of. Uh, chronic uh, truancy because kids are taking care of little kids. And I mean, that is, that's even outside our scope of our conversation yeah. here. So my thoughts are, yes, it is important to have this number in time so we get our HUD fund funding, but you know, is, is the data less important other than the individual cases, I guess is my point.
1: Well, I think the number per se is important to make sure we have a good count so we know what we're working with. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, even as Lisa was talking about, knowing how our street number has been reported uh, this, you know, for this last year. Um, and honestly, 40 is still probably low compared to, you know, a little lower, but it's so far better than when we were talking about the eight or nine, you know, that we were reporting several years ago. So as a group and as a planning board, as the um, the home team is, we really have to have a firm grasp of what we're looking at and who constitutes each of those populations. Um,
2: so 40 on the street in yeah. January, mm-hmm. What is the nature of that existence at two o'clock in the morning? In January in Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah,
1: so we actually talk to a lot of the folks when we go out and find out where they were. And Colleen actually works a lot with the folks on the streets, you know, just as a caring volunteer in the community. Um, And I'll let her really tell you most about that, but they have a wide range of places that they say they're at. And it could be anywhere from I slept in my truck or somebody's truck to I was in a doorway. I was in, you know, fill in the blank. Um, Those are the places that when you see the picture on the national stories, then you think, yeah, that, those really do happen in Erie. Um, but I'm going to let Colleen jump in here because she is in touch more probably than most people in this community with a lot of those folks. Wow.
3: Well, you know what? Um, I think I think you raise a very important question okay. because I think when you talk about January 26th in Erie, here's mm-hmm. what we know: it's going to be snow, yeah. it's going to be cold, and this past year, when we look at that number. I've seen more frostbite in this past year from people outside or living or squatting in abandoned buildings, Mm. living in cars than ever before than ever before. So let's see um, if we think about that. If I just pick one person out of the world, uh, we have a 66 year old guy who's been homeless now for three full years. He's a vet. He was not able because of his uh, mental health and depression to be able to be managed within the context of some of the safe havens that Lisa was just talking about through the Veterans Association. Um, he rode a bike all winter long to get from where he was because he has very, he has a lot of arthritis and other medical conditions. Yeah, goes to the VA for for health care. But when we talk about the face of homeless and the face of the unhoused, he is not one who comes to mind, right? He's really not. Um, he has maybe some other issues but the primary thing is he is finding spaces where he will not be bothered he's worried all night long some ptsd from years ago on the what, what
2: about these tiny homes what about yeah. all of these choices yeah. especially for our veterans uh, to me there should be no homeless veterans period
3: Oh, I love that, <laughs> and I and I think that's very true. I think the challenge is the VA system does a wonderful job, just like all the providers in healthcare, or I'm sorry, in emergency yeah. shelters. But here's the challenge, right? Yeah, Joel, when you have a guy like that who's up and bothering people and has all you know is all night long ticking and talking, right? Like you can't you be said, in a congregate care situation. You can't. Thank you. Exactly.
2: But you so put him that, in a tiny house, mm-hmm.
3: and that's I think what we're trying to do, and. We're not ready yet for me to jump in, but I'm gonna talk about a special initiative um, toward the end of this that we're doing. But what someone like that needs, right, is hands-on direction, support. He takes it beautifully one-on-one, but in congregate care, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So is he outside? Mm -hmm. Did he have frostbite most of this winter? Uh Uh-huh, terrible. However, again, you have varying degrees of mental health and drug and alcohol challenges. Mm-hmm. You have varying degrees of individuals who have burned their bridges. But what we do have in common with every single one of those forty unhoused persons, as well as the people that Lisa's spoken about, the three hundred and seventy one who are literally homeless, is that trauma. When you sit down at night in one of the churches who do our neighbor's place to the overflow yeah, shelter, sure. when you sit down at night and they're up and they're down, you're thinking, Oh, you know, they're struggling with being here, we've gotta, you know, calm things and talk with them. When you sit and talk with them night after night, here's what you find. They can tell you a trauma after a trauma after a trauma after a trauma in five minutes. Wow. The most complex trauma, trauma layered on trauma. So when I sit here in your beautiful space and I see some of the people we know on the streets, mm-hmm. right? I think I couldn't do it either. I couldn't sleep next to sixty people in the gym either, right? right? right so how do we then, to Mm -hmm. harken back to your prior question, if we reflect on that, how do we have top of mind awareness and start to think about how can we serve the people we can serve in tiny homes, which is really a wonderful option for little families,
2: right? Right, yeah, yeah. And kind of that. We're seeing that at Columbus School, right? mm -hmm.
3: Wonderful. They've done a marvelous job of that. mm -hmm. And then how do we look to wrap supports around someone like our 66-year-old vet. Yeah. How do we look to wrap? Um, we had a gentleman who died this past winter of an overdose outside a young kid in his 30s. I used to see him all the time. He, his hands were so frostbitten. Wow. And But he has so much trauma that he just couldn't manage staying inside.
2: Does uh, that? Two questions here. Yeah, I, I, keep and, going. Because I, I, I really, I really think that our listeners need to understand what, what, what we're dealing with as far as the level of mental illness that many of these folks are, well, you're saying trauma layered upon trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, is there, is there, uh, services available to walk through that trauma with them? First off, um, you know, I mean, I, again don't you go instead of the presenting issues of I'm homeless I'm cold I don't have a, a jacket or whatever to the prevailing issues is I I have I have a boatload of trauma that I need to figure out can we bring anyone to health or is that and that's a daily walk is are there places where people could walk with them?
3: Yes, sir. And you know what? I think that's the whole thing is getting to the root cause of that homelessness, right? You are 100% accurate. And you know how you do that? We do trainings at shelters and other places. We brought a gentleman named Ryan Dowd. I love to share his books with you. And he runs homeless shelters in Illinois. Huge, largest homeless shelter in that state. And what he talks about is building individual relationships. So when I talk to you on the street, Joe, right? Yeah. Or Joe. When I talk to you, Joel, and um, anyway, uh, on the street, I can come up, I sit down, we have a conversation, I build the relationship. Today, you don't want to go to to rehab. Today, you don't want to go to mental health services. But- if I see you day after day, and I speak to you every day on the street, in a month, you might trust me enough to say yes, and we have all kinds of marvelous providers who will right. walk that journey with people. Okay. But if you're homeless, you have a 24-hour exactly. vision. 100%. Where am I gonna sleep tonight yeah. that I'm gonna be safe? Where am I gonna eat my meals today? How am you're I gonna get You're taking care there? of
2: basic needs, Mas- Maslow's yes. hierarchy. Yes, hierarchy. Hierarchy. I agree. All right, so but here's the, here's the harder question then. Yes are there individuals that are on the streets that either because of some pathology they are this is a terrible word but criminally inclined to stay homeless
0: first of all i don't think homelessness is is a crime
2: no it is not a crime but it it does it does it is it found can it be used you know, as as a way of getting something. I don't know. I mean, what are people scared of? They're scared of being ripped off by somebody else. Right? You know,
1: I, I think there's a perception um, just overall in a sense yeah. of community about what the uh, stereotypical person who is homeless is. And well, um, let's let's drop the homeless then part of it. Yeah. I mean, sure. let's talk
2: about crime on the streets mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people that are fearful of crime on the streets. Right. Right. So, how does this impact the homeless community? I guess is well, is the I, I think there are
1: probably people who, um, you know, working downtown here when they walk by Perry Square or one of the shelters on the, um, you know, on the side, you know, French or yeah. uh, Peach over there, and they do see large groups of uh, the homeless individuals hanging out. Um, yeah, they will cross the street. And walk on the other side. You know, absolutely, that's going to happen. I think there's an innate, um, just a natural tendency for people to kind of react differently when they see somebody who they, you know, they feel threatened by. But you know, the the funny thing is when we do this point in time count, and we mm-hmm. have we have a lot of volunteers that come out with us who do not work within the system and they talk with everybody and we talk to 400 roughly 400 people through the course of a day because we'll go up and ask them where'd you sleep last night we'll hand them a bag of of things to kind of help them get through no matter where they slept homeless or not yeah. the fact of the matter is i would say 99 percent 98 99 percent of the people who we interview and talk to, it's like talking to you and me across this table. Mm -hmm. And so once you understand that a lot of these people, they're on the streets because they had a bad run of something, Um, housing fell through for them because let's not discount what the housing crisis in this country is doing to a lot of families. Um, There are people that, and I tell my two sons and other people that I know too, by the grace of God, You know, Mm -hmm. we can all find ourselves in a situation that some of these folks, you know, so think smart before you do things Mm -hmm. and, you know, try to, you know, not take things for granted and, you know, act accordingly. Um, And hopefully you'll, you know, we we won't find ourselves in these situations, but again, and they're good people. Um, I had one guy doing the point in time count. He was a vet and these 52 year old eyes are going, you know, and I'm trying to read the form and he's laughing at me. He gives me his reading glasses. Oh my! And I said, I'm not taking your glasses. He goes, "Ah, I got more of them later. And he was um, kind of what Colleen was talking about earlier when you're talking about the veterans and no one should be homeless. He was on the streets. He was unsheltered because he refused to go to a shelter that night because he said it's not for me. He said, "I can't deal with that environment." Okay, um, you know, he said, "That's just not where I want to be. I can't be around the setting where people are having, you know, their, you know, some mental health issues and other things." He said, "I'm better off in a doorway. I have a voucher." For a, a permanent um, housing program, it's. Uh, but I can't get him for like a week. Mm-hmm. He said, "I'll be fine." And then he said, "Just take my glasses." And I kind of laugh. <laughs> and they're sitting on my desk right. at work, you know. Wow. And, I, and I look at those all the time and think, "He's just normal people, you know, for the most well, part." There's so so many, I, you know? I appreciate that. And I just mm-hmm.
2: want you to help us understand because there's listeners that have encountered aggressive, yes. aggressive yeah. people on yeah. the street. Right. Okay, right. Uh, we have business owners that are exasperated Mm -hmm. over where erie is at right now you know no matter what the data is saying Mm -hmm. their lived experience is traumatic yep okay um they're they're dealing with uh you know human waste they're dealing with different situations on the solution side of this whole thing uh i mean we do need more housing yes oh yeah without a doubt like yep i mean I couldn't afford some of the rents that these poor people pay right. for for a really tough apartment. You know, and it's gotten
0: worse yeah. since the pandemic. Sure,
2: way worse in
0: in two ways. One, in that the housing price of housing went high so high that some of our landlords sold
2: right. because
0: why would I deal with this when I can get a lump sum um, right. that's more than I paid quadruply more than I paid for right. it? Um, and then secondly. We just have landlords that don't want to rent to our people because there are challenges. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if we say we're paying the rent. They Mm -hmm. say, I don't care. I don't want to have to (laughs) repair the place every time they move out. And that isn't true of everyone. We have people that have been in permanent housing for decades Mm and handle it well. They just are, with their challenges, not able to work. And so they have supportive services that they deserve. However, when we're talking about capacity and demand, we do not have enough affordable housing in Erie, Pennsylvania for people living not just homeless uh, population but in poverty working Basically. poor and yeah. they fall working out of poor. that poverty into you, homelessness. You know
1: when Lisa yes. was giving the point in time count numbers and it was yeah. 371 I think is what you said that we're in the shelters transitional housing and on the street um, locally in our community we actually look at the folks that are in permanent supportive housing programs as well too mm-hmm. or in the rapid rehousing programs uh, the long term structures yeah. and they still have to call You know, 814 Shelter and be put on a list to get into these and the night of that point in time count so January 26th we had close to 700 folks that are wow. in these long-term programs and that's actually when you add that to that shelter number where some of the confusion regarding yeah, our what our hard. homeless number is in erie but i think it's better to not necessarily call those folks homeless they're more the near homeless or okay could be if it wasn't Without for these subject. long-term and we well, need it, more of those and
2: i think i think just to finish the thought because i, I gotta make sure that we cover this to finish the thought the the people that are aggressive that you're encountering on the street may or may not be homeless exactly. they may be just That's criminals right. they may be committing crimes I mean we do have we do have shops here in town mm-hmm. that you know somebody will walk in and just start spewing obscenities to the to the attenders of the shops sure. and this is an issue uh uh you know that, that rightfully the 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 city police, have to address right and and so when we're talking about getting to our preferred future certainly housing is one of them but i thought we were super mental health rich maybe we need more of that
3: we are mental (laughs) i think we are mental health rich although with the pandemic i think the um draw on those mental health services has been higher than it's ever been Well, yeah, and and they're having
2: a hard time hiring personal care, people, staff. All
3: those spaces are difficult. But on the other hand, (laughs) on the other hand, I think we need to, those of us who work with the individuals experiencing homelessness, those of us who have stores, those of us who are trying to put together this new initiative we'll tell you about before we end, but we have to remember Kindness and relationship are very important, but you're being kind and relational within the confines of the law. (laughs) If somebody's breaking a window, I'm not going to sit down and talk to them about mental health services. That's different, right? But for the individual who's sitting there, and I know they have nowhere to be, and they're struggling because maybe they need mental health services for whatever reason— Making relationships and hooking them with providers and being mm-hmm. sure they can get there. Because if you only if you have a 24-hour window and you're wondering where you're going to sleep tonight and how you're going to eat, do you remember that three weeks from Tuesday you have a psychiatric window? No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. So those are the things we're doing outreach and engagement around, right? Yeah. But I think it's that whole strong, firm, positive, we can do this together mm-hmm. as long as you're not talking about criminal activity. Well, now it's altogether different.
1: I do want to um, bring up the point to that, especially in the folks that are in the, the longer-term permanent supportive housing programs. Um, you know, nationally, we have what's called a housing-first philosophy, and the idea is to get people into a house, yeah. and to get them housed, and then you worry about other services as they come to it. All of the providers here, they actually do have linkages to mental health, to substance abuse, to employment, to education. One of the big issues is, though, you can't mandate people go. That's Even right. when they're in the programs, you can strongly nudge. You can strongly suggest you can, every week you meet with these folks, you can tell them, Hey, have yeah. you reached out to so-and-so? Hey, have you done this? But it's still their choice. You right. Know, and you really can't mandate
2: age. people accepting right. any of these kinds of housing that's, that's levels exactly either. I mean, it. we're yeah. in that, we, right. this is a free country. Right. right. But I, I mean, uh, yep. you, you can understand the, the, um, the the desire to reduce uh, these numbers. Yes. I mean, you wanna reduce them, okay. the, the community wants to reduce them. Sure. All right, so um, what's our game plan? Because uh, we're really down to our last two or three minutes. We ago. are, I'm gonna talk okay. fast. All right, Let go.
3: back in um, 2021, we had Bruce Katz who came in, Yes, sure. helped Erie, did the playbook, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, they came up and said, we need a consistent systemic response to homelessness. Exactly. Um, Department of Human Services, the housing program where Lisa works, as well as the home team. I mean, this is what we've been working on for years.
2: I was going to say, I thought yeah. we had a plan.
3: Well, we're, we're, but at we're the same time. defining it. Yeah. Yes. But at the same time, then we had this community partner group um, that included... Hammond Health Foundation, the Community Foundation, nice. AHN, yeah. right? They were aware of, um, through Karen Bilweth, she was aware of Wyatt Schrader, who is a consultant based in Philly, a PA native, that they then contracted with private dollars, right, to bring in and help us. He started last July talking with us putting together focus groups, putting together all of ourselves, data from the county, lots of partnerships. So we have this collaborative. Within the last year now, we now have a design for response plan because out of Bruce Katz's work, out of the work within the community, we said, hey, we think we know what we need. We need you to help us. And he's done a wonderful job of putting people together and saying, here's what I did nationally all over. Yeah. Now we have a design, a two-level design that together we've all created and bought into. We are talking about a single site of what George and Lisa have talked about, the permanent supportive services, where individuals, maybe up to 50, will be in one site. Providers will go there. They'll build those relationships. They'll figure out what people need. And then mobily, we will work in this, I call assertive, aggressive, I don't care, Yeah. way to partner with individuals, complete that trust cycle, get them where they need to be because now we can extend that 24 hour vision, right? Yeah. To a longer term, let's get your DNA services in, let's mm. get your mental health in, mm-hmm. we can do this together. Wow. That was one part of the design. The second part of the design is the opportunity for scattered housing up to potentially 100 sites And the focus, yeah, throughout the county, Erie City and Erie County. So this is all, what we've all been working on is this huge team in Erie. And I think the reason we wanted to bring that to your attention as a special initiative is these are concrete solutions, right?
2: And that's what we need.
3: And we have a way to universally determine. We have assessments. We have coordinated intake, which would be a process. How do we determine who these people would be? We -hmm. can do this together. And in that kind of a partnership, we have an opportunity to act, to make positive outcomes for people who are willing and who we can partner with to make that happen. But the idea is exactly what you shared. We need to wrap those services around people, make them available and prioritize those individuals, right? To be sure that we can make change because as we one by one by one make change, your view out your window is gonna look a lot different. And the view for the people will look different and their quality of life will be different and, they'll, and the homeowners downtown will be different and the people who have wonderful businesses downtown will not have to have everybody leapfrogging over their door right. to get in.
2: You know, whether it's 371 or 1100 or whatever it is, the number is not so massive in, in a community like Erie that we can't individually walk where people are willing to walk again, we're yes. not going to we're not going to deny free will, right? But certainly we could we could overwhelm them with kindness,
0: absolutely. Yeah, Amen. and we're
2: going to leave it there. Thank you, Lisa, Carly, George, Finkenworth, and Colleen Hammond from the home team. Go team! Thank, Thank you, Joel. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thanks, you, Joel. You got it. Oh my goodness! I tell you what, that you know. Uh, this is probably the the most hope filled conversation I've had on this in a long time because we we can do this. Yes, we can. Yeah. We, we yeah. have together. the capacity, yeah. and together. we and yeah, and you know Spender all of us together. all of us need an education. Mm-hmm. Yes. All of us need a little bit of compassion, and um, and uh, we'll make it go through. Thank you guys so much.
1: Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Joel. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from talkerie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at talkerie.com.